This is the Welcome Dads Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Welcome Dads Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things being a dad. We will discuss and debate parenting topics, share our Whatcom County recommendations for things our kids like, and bring on guests who can help us unpack a particular aspect of being a dad. And to all you moms out there, we know raising kids is a team sport, so please join us on this adventure. I'm Nathan Dwyer. I'm Chris Roselli. And I'm Mark Bagley. This week, we discuss sibling rivalry, conduct a children's author fantasy draft, and we interview local family physician, Dr. Francine Martis. I'm Lexi, and I'm 14 years old, and I'm in the ninth grade. I'm Melissa, and I'm 11 years old, and I'm in sixth grade. We got this job because our dad is recording this in our closet out of our house. Chris, who were those lovely announcers? Well, they were my kids, of course, Nathan Dwyer, but I, I actually have to confess something. So I've already done something very dad-like, and um, well, I would hope it's very dad-like. I'm embarrassed that I did it, but in the first episode, I said my daughter Alyssa is 12. That's wrong. She's 11. I don't know why, since she turned 11, I've always wanted to say that she's 12. I don't want her to age faster than she is, but she's actually 11, not 12. Glad that you cleared that up. <laughs> so guys, I was reflecting on last week's episode and uh, we had a family meeting last night and we failed miserably. Uh, we, we involved the two-year-old and her attention span was about three minutes. So uh, in any event, I didn't even take Dr. Nelson's advice that I shared last week and put the two-year-old to bed. And I was uh, fortunate enough to have both kids home for dinner last night, which does not happen very often because my daughter lives in Seattle and my uh, son doesn't live with us anymore. And I recapped last week's episode with them and told them about my uh, disagreements with Dr. Nelson. And I just want to let you know that they sided with me, not her. They uh, think that our tradition of meals together was the perfect venue for family meetings. And they said that they would have absolutely hated family meetings. So Nathan, when you uh, get Dr. Nelson on this pod, uh, I will have two more people in my corner when she and I go head to head. Forget a presidential debate. I'm looking forward to Bagley versus Nelson on parenting. Royal Rumble. Tag team. Bring it on. (laughs) Well, hey, let's jump into this week's episode. So folks, if you have ever gone to the doctor, if you have a sibling, or if you have more than one kid, or if you've ever read a children's book, we have something for you. So before we start, I'd like to uh, plug my kids' podcast, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. The first is called Travel with a Chance of Murder. It's co-hosted by my daughter, Allie, and each week she focuses on an international destination and gives tips and tricks on how to visit, and when you are there, great things to do. Her co-host then tells a true crime story, just to add a bit of spice to the pod. Allie has done quite a bit of traveling, both throughout Europe and across the U.S., so she has some great suggestions. And if you're a fan of the NFL and really enjoy the statistical side of the game, let me suggest my son Ben's podcast called Trade Bait. He is a stats geek and dives deep into what makes a team tick 
And then he and his co-hosts predict the winners of each NFL game and use stats to back up their choices. They're surprisingly accurate in their picks. So uh, I recommended that maybe they should both enroll at UNLV and uh, do a little side betting uh, to try to pay tuition. So I told them that I was now doing a pod. Those are their pods. And uh, I know this is a competition, Nathan, but maybe when they're, when our listeners are done with our podcast, they can tune into either trade bait or travel with a chance of murder. All right. This week, we're going to talk about sibling rivalry. Uh, I'm going to draw a little bit this week from information I got online from the University of Michigan Children's Hospital Parenting Guide. I'll put the link in the show notes. Also a website from the Child Development Institute. I'll also post that link. And then information my wife got from Bellingham Technical College. Sibling rivalry is the jealousy, competition, and fighting between brothers and sisters. And everything I've read so far says it's normal and healthy. And if your kids can get along 50% of the time, you're doing great. What has sibling rivalry been like in your households? There's a three-year age gap between my kids, with my daughter being the oldest. And there was always a little bit. um, Allie was what my wife likes to call a spirited child. So very high energy, um, difficult at times. And Ben was much more laid back and mellow. And so while she was rather high strung, he tended to kind of go with the flow. And I was thinking a little about a little bit about this. And um, Allie was always really, really good with money. And she was in- interested in money and understood money. And she would always say, Mom and Dad, someday I'm going to have more money than Bill Gates. And one day, Ben, who was maybe four or five at the time, after she said that, said, you know, mom and dad, someday I'm going to have one more dollar than Allie. And I thought that is fantastic. (laughs) And so that's the kind of sibling rivalry that they had where Allie would think and think and think and think and think. And then Ben would just kind of react. And tell the listeners what your daughter now does for her career. Yeah, she's an accountant. You know, I asked my wife, Amy, before this, and um, I just I just asked her, I said, you know, sibling, sibling, sibling rivalry is going to be our theme today. Uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think the girls argue? Is there a rivalry there? And Amy's response was, not really, no. They just fight over dumb stuff. And, um, and, that's, and that's kind of it. And, and like Mark, uh, our girls are almost three years apart. Um, now that Lexi is 14 and Alyssa is 11, um, <laughs> got that right this time, um, we are starting to see a little bit m- more of, might not necessarily be a rivalry yet, but I think that as they get older, that will form into something like that to where Lexi is now in high school, right? And she's wanting to do more grown-up things. Uh, she doesn't always want to do the things that her younger sister wants to do. And uh, it'll be interesting to sort of see how that develops and evolves uh, and impacts their relationship over time. For me, I think it might be too early to tell. But the thing that I have going against me is that since I have three kids, there's actually three rivalries. But I think there is a positive to having three Certainly, if one of the children is looking for something to do, there's two options to find someone. And my middle child, my boy, he really now is able to play up with the seven-year-old. 
and down with a two-year-old. So he sort of has two playmates, depending on sort of which way the wind is blowing. But I'm afraid that as they get older, uh, certainly in the teenage years, there might be the opportunity for ganging up. And so then there's going to be a lot of two-on-one. I think there's a real overlap between sibling rivalry and birth order. And I am fascinated with birth order. So I hope we can talk about that on a future podcast. really looking at if the oldest kid feels like they have to develop that caring, nurturing quality because they want to care for the younger kids. And if it's the youngest child, they've got to fight for attention. And so just naturally, they're already at odds with each other. So Mark, you have a boy and a girl. Do you think that made sibling rivalry better or worse? I think it probably made it a bit better, but, you know, I'm not an expert and, you know, I came from a, a two-child house as well with a me and a, and a sister. So I've never lived in a situation where there have been um, same-sex siblings. So I would actually probably defer to Chris coming from a family of all boys, because I think you can probably speak to it much better than I can about rivalry within you know the, the same sex. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the uh, factors, or I'd be curious to see if one of the factors happens to also be interests, common interests of siblings too, right? Um, and I was fortunate with my brothers. All of us love sports together. We still play golf together. And of course, there's always that sort of fun rivalry that that we still have in that case. And my daughters, they have very similar interests. When they play together, they like to play volleyball together. They play basketball together. They color together. They do those kinds of things together. Um, but we haven't found a real heavy competition yet that's created sort of a, a deep ingrained rivalry that I can tell anyway. So the good news, at least according to the experts, is that most likely our kids' relationships are going to eventually develop into a close one. And so having them uh, work things out now when they're younger will help them practice cooperating and compromising so that when they're older, they can certainly develop a strong bond. And I can say that my kids are great, great friends. And so whatever happened when they were six and three or 12 and nine or 16 and 13, those days are certainly gone and they get along famously. And as mom and dad, it just really warms our heart just to see how close they are and what good, good friends they are and support they are to each other. We see that too, uh, as friends of yours, Mark, and when we see your two kids hang out together and truly love one another, uh, that's our biggest hope for that Amy and I have is that Lexi and Alyssa have that same kind of relationship. When Ben went back to his apartment last night after dinner and Allie spent the night here, he said to Allie as he left, Allie, you should come up more often. We need to really do this as often as we possibly can. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty great. <laughs> poster children for post uh, high school siblings getting getting along. So I have a question. Oh, I was just going to ask a quick question, Mark. I mean, what do you think, what helped establish that? What helped make, I mean, there's a lot of really great parents who have kids who just, they don't get along. Yeah, Chris, I, I wish I could tell you. And you know, it's funny, the three of us After our episode last week, we all agreed on this, and I think we need to give it a little time and a little play during the pod, is that our wives did amazing and are doing amazing work with our kids. And, you know, I was just kind of the guy who 
kind of went along with what was happening here and did the best I can just to keep up. But I got to give all the credit to Annette and what she did as a mom and as a wife and as a referee, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know what it is. I feel like we're extremely lucky, extremely blessed, but they've got a really, really great mom. So we already touched on a couple, but let's just come up with a few more ideas on how we can help kids get along better. One thing that I noticed in uh, what my wife does better than I do is that instead of having the kids compete with one another, she tries to have them uh, sort of play on the same team. So if we're going to say, let's pick up the playroom, let's get all the toys picked up. It's not who can pick up more toys. It's not who can do it faster, but let's as a family race the clock, put five minutes on the clock and see if we can beat it. Similarly, when we go on vacation, the kids love to push the elevator button and she does, <laughs> she does a great job of rotating through. Okay. You're going to do it this time on the way back. You're going to do it. And so just sort of taking that competition off the table is really helpful. We would do that as well. Where if we were playing games, we would let the two kids be on one team and they would compete against either me or my wife or my wife and I together. So they learned teamwork that way. Another thing is if you notice the kids are particularly getting at each other at a particular time of day, try changing up your routine a little bit. I know sometimes I come home from work and it's that witching hour and my wife's cooking dinner and the kids are just ready to strangle each other. And so some nights we'll go on a walk before dinner and that certainly like calms everyone down and sets the pace for dinner. Uh, I know that when I was a kid and it's something I'm very conscious of is making sure that our kids at least feel like they're getting an equal amount of time, that the things they receive are equal, the the attention they get is equal. Um, and so I think that that's something. Uh, another one is uh, is trying our best not to compare the kids to one another. Um, they're different kids. And um, I think that that's, that's sometimes hard to do. Uh, when I look back at what Lexi did and now what we see what Alyssa's doing, um, we definitely don't want to say, hey, you know, your sister never did that. <laughs> Even though we, even though we're thinking it in our head, why in the world are you doing that? Your sister never did that. So Nathan, I have one more, one more little story I want to tell. Um, when whatever house we've lived in, we always made sure it had a circular pattern because our kids loved running in circles. They just run around the house, and there was this one particular day where the kids were running, and Annette was sitting at the table with her hand out, and as they ran by, they would slap her hand like they would do a lap, and so Ben was in front and Allie was in the back. And as they ran the first time around, Allie said to Annette, mommy, Ben and I are having fun and we're friends. And they did another lap. And when Allie hit Annette's hand, the second lap, she said, but we're just pretending. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like they're not pretending anymore. They're not pretending anymore. That's right. So here's my resources for the week. If you parents want to do some reading on sibling rivalry, I'm going to recommend a book by Dr. Laura Markham, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. And then I have some reading you can do with your kids to help them sort of understand sibling rivalry. Uh, We have this book entitled I Love You, The Purplest by Barbara Juice, J-O-O-S-S-E. The other one is You're All My Favorites by Sam McBratney. This week for Whatcom Dads Recommend, we're going to do a fantasy draft because who loves fantasy drafts? Dads. I do. Oh, I do. (laughs) But we're not going to draft football players. We're going to draft children's book authors. And we're looking for children's book authors who 
would be appropriate for elementary school kids. Either they can read the books themselves or you can read them to them. So my two-year-old drew names out of a hat this morning, and the order is going to be Mark, then Chris, then myself. You can list who you drafted. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to draft and then tell maybe the best-known book or book series from the author so people can check these authors out. So here we go. Round one, pick one. Uh, you know, I think I got to go with the, uh, the natural, and that's got to be Dr. Seuss. And I'm going to say Cat in the Hat, Horton Hears a Who, Green Eggs and Ham, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I will take from my first pick a uh, an icon of children's books, Beverly Cleary, uh, who wrote the Ramona Quimby series, Henry Huggins, and many others. Well, both those are on my list. So I'm going to go <laughs> with my daughter's favorite author, Mary Pope Osborne. She does the Magic Treehouse series with uh, Jack and Annie traveling throughout history. So that's the first round. Initial reaction to the first round picks. I win. <laughs> so here's my hot take. Dr. Seuss, overrated. Oh, man. Blasphemy. Now, it could be generational. You are the oldest dad in the group. Round two. Round two, I will pick Shell Silverstein. Oh, that was my number two. Yeah, where the sidewalk ends. Uh, that was a that was a favorite growing up. Taught the kids a little bit about poetry and about silliness, and uh, we really enjoyed that at bedtime. The Giving Tree is still one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, well, in that case, I will have to move to another pick, which is um, Rolled Doll, who uh, did BFG, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda. Both good picks. Both were on my list. And so here's where I'm going to go. P.D. Eastman, the protege of Dr. Seuss. And this is why I think Dr. Seuss is overrated. I think P.D. Eastman's books like Are You My Mother and Go Dogs Go actually are more fun for me to read. The illustrations in both are wonderful, but I'm more of a P.D. Eastman guy than Dr. Seuss. So it's that a dog party. Sorry, I totally cut you off, Nathan. <laughs> go Dog Go. So uh, there's round two. Any, any comments? All solid picks. All right, Mark. Round three. Round three, my first pick. I'm going to go with uh, my daughter's favorite author growing up, Barbara Park, who wrote the Junie B. Jones series. And I don't know if anyone, uh, if your kids might be too young for that, but uh, that, was a, that was a staple in our house and our daughter poured over those books. Good choice, Mark. I'm going to go with a, sort of a more modern author, actually, for children's books. Mo Willems has uh, written some fantastic books. The Knuffle Bunny series and the, the Pigeon books are a riot as a parent to read with your kids. And with my third pick, I'm going to go Richard Scarry. Busy Town, What Do People Do All Day? Amazing books. They're really kind of hard to read because my kids want me to give all the little titles to all the different cars and houses and things, but uh, can't really beat a Richard Scarry book for a young kid. Uh, Nathan, I had them when I was a kid. So that's 50 years that it's spanned and it's heartening to hear that your kids still love the man. All right, let's get that last round in. So uh, now I'm going with my one of my son's favorite authors growing up, and that would be Rick Riordan. And uh, he was a, a fantasy adventurer author, best known for the Percy Jackson series. And Ben loved those as well. I asked my two daughters, and both of them definitely threw out Raina Telgemeier, who uh, wrote the Babysitter's Club series, which both of my girls have powered through all of those. 
And with the final pick of the Whatcom Dads Fantasy Children's Author Draft, I'm going to take Robert McCluskey. Uh, Make Way for Ducklings, Blueberries for Sal, Homer Price. Excellent books, great pictures, can read it over and over again. So if anyone gets injured on my team, I got to have J.K. Rowling coming off the bench because uh, some of the my best memories of my middle school daughter was um, reading the entire Harry Potter series and couldn't wait till those books came out. So sorry, I had to get a had to get a fifth pick in there. Chris, did you have an honorable mention? Yeah, my reserve list would be Catherine Applegate. She wrote the one and only Ivan, which of course is uh, now on Netflix, I think. And the new one, the one and only Bob and Crenshaw. Her books are fantastic. My bench is going to be Ron Roy, who wrote the A to Z mysteries and calendar mysteries that my kids love. And also Chris Van Dusen has written some great books lately, To Build a Car, To Build a House, and To Build a School. Really great artwork in those. All right. Well, listeners, if you have an idea about who won the children's author draft, you can always email us at whatcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. Chris won. Today's podcast is brought to you by Robinson & Cole Attorneys. Robinson & Cole handles all types of injury cases. This includes auto accidents, work accidents and L&I claims, slip and falls, construction site accidents, and wrongful death claims. Robinson & Cole offers a free consultation and case evaluation. If you or someone you know has suffered a personal injury or has been injured on the job, call Robinson & Cole at 360-671-8112. You can also find more information on their website, robinsonandcole.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N-A-N-D-K-O-L-E dot com. Robinson and Cole, Northwest Washington's premier injury law firm. All right, Dr. Francine Martis joins us today. Francine is a family physician at Peace Health here in Bellingham, and she's also a mother of three daughters. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Martis. Well, thanks for having me. This is very exciting. First step in everything. I've never done a podcast before, so here we go. So tell us uh, how long you've been practicing medicine and about your kids. I've been practicing medicine here in Whatcom County for approximately seven-ish years now. Um, it, It was the first job I got out of residency. Um, And I'm a family medicine physician, and I see all age groups. Um, I do have three daughters. My oldest is five years old, and her name is Octavia. Then I have a almost four-year-old named Kier, and then a one-year-old named Alexandra. Fantastic. And you now have a kindergarten, right? So that's probably changed things a little bit. Oh, it has. She's um, she's schooling now, so she's in class with distance and not doing distance learning, but I am pretty happy with how things are going. She's learning a lot, and she's bringing home a lot of new um, character traits, I guess, I should say. Oh, it, and it continues on and on and on as they get older. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> We used to always joke whenever the girls would come home, whenever they would say something that was something we didn't approve of, we would just jokingly always blame school or her friends at school. Always. Started. I've already started doing that. So (laughs) not my Octavia. It's not friends. I had uh, two very picky eaters growing up and it was always a challenge um, at mealtime to figure out foods that would work for them. So talk a little bit about um, advice you might have for parents 
regards to healthy eating, um, especially if maybe you're on a budget or if you have kids that just may not like everything that's put on the table? Sure. So I think um, healthy eating really starts with parents. You got to be a good role model to your kids and they are going to do what they see for the most part. But certainly you're going to have picky eaters as they grow up. Um, And certainly we know that adolescents just transition to uh, forming their own meal habits eventually. But as kids, what, what is important is that you show them what healthy eating is. And that usually is part of uh, any sort of mealtime. So you want to make good choices when it comes to food selection, especially decreasing sugar is very key. Um, Also maintaining fruits and vegetables with either snacks or main meals. Having meal sets at a table setting is very important. So no distractions would be another Um, another suggestion I would make, no toys or um, games, you know, no music, making sure mealtime is also family time and it's a positive um, experience for them. If you are introducing a food that a child doesn't like to eat, what you could do is really say, you know, you might want to try an adventure bite. I'm sure you guys may have tried this with your kids and they take a bite and they spit it out. But I have to tell you, don't give up you know, hope because there's certainly um, you know, approximately 10 times that they could spit this food out and say, I don't like it. And on the 11th try, they're eating it. Um, other tips I say, um, make sure that You know, you are, again, giving them positive reinforcement sometimes. And if it's taking them more than 30 minutes to eat this food, you want to say, okay, I think we're going to just give it to you at your next snack time or meal time. Because if you stay over 30 minutes, you're really creating an unhealthy um, association with, you know, pressure and and the food um, meal time. So... I'm glad you mentioned the adventure bite. Uh, we've gotten some good mileage out of that, especially with three kids, because inevitably, if they all take an adventure bite, one of them's going to like it. And then the other two kind of feel like, oh, wait, I should maybe give it another chance if if she likes it or he likes it. So there actually is a little bit of peer pressure to to keep trying these new foods. So I appreciate that go. tip. Yeah. I like the 30-minute rule because when my wife was growing up, she hated anything green. And so the entire family would leave the table and she'd have to sit there by herself until she ate her green vegetables. And what she would do with peas is she would take them and stick them in the crevices of the chair, of the kitchen chair. And then she'd call her parents and say, I ate all my peas. And then they'd find all these mushed up peas in the chair afterwards. I would spit my... I would spit my peas into the bottom of my milk glass and just leave a little bit of milk in it so you couldn't see it. And then I would just take, it was the only time I ever did my own dishes very willingly, right? Well, I have a follow-up question and it's, it's, uh, it, it could be tied to food. And, and really, I have two daughters and um, body image. And that is something that uh, it's, I know it's an issue for any gender. However, as a father of two daughters, my wife and I, are extremely mindful and worried about body image for our daughters. And so how should dads and moms, of course, encourage a positive body image in their kids? So everything starts with conversation, I believe. And I always counsel my adolescent patients or teenagers or even younger patients if they're starting to develop some sort of association with diversion to food. Um, having a conversation with your kids and really, really letting them know that 
what you see on TV or social media is not real life. And the fact that, you know, perception is one thing, but health is another. So um, just having those conversations routinely, having, um, you know, uh, conversations about feelings, about uh, what's going on with your social circle is really important because I think body image is not just a one topic, uh, you know, conversation. I think it's really tied to different subgroups of maybe anxiety or, you know, not fitting or getting along with the social norm in the class or a certain group. Um, just, I really want to encourage positive conversation or uh, a conversation where they can really talk about the way they're feeling. You mentioned about communicating with them. When we watch commercials, for instance, and Amy and I are so mindful of it, um, we'll ask the girls, what do you think they're trying to sell here? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Be, I like that. I think that's good. Just to get them to be mindful of right. what is in their face, constantly coming at them yeah. uh, all the time. So let's talk about the health of the parents out there. Uh, raising kids is stressful. It takes a lot of time. Uh, leaves not much time for ourselves. So how much sleep should parents be getting? How much exercise should we be getting? And how often should we be going to our family physician for a uh, checkup or physical? A lot of good questions there. So I think I'm just going to break it down. Maybe let's start with um, general health. When I think about health, I usually think about, you know, what's making a person healthy or an unhealthy and I break it down into either diet you know, uh, issues or lack of exercise, or there could be other issues in terms of uh, mental health issues versus other. But when it comes to sleep, that's certainly part of um, of health because if you are not sleeping well, you really have um, decreased immunity and your cognitive function decreases. And overall, you're just not set up for a good um a day the next day. In order, again, to function and have good immunity, you do need approximately seven to nine hours of sleep. And this was recommended by the Academy of Sleep Medicine and Research uh, Studies. When it comes to exercise, exercise is key. We hear it all the time, you know, but what does that really mean? What is, how much exercise should we be getting in a week? Parents are busy you know, trying to you know, plug in exercise here and there can be very difficult, whether you have toddlers to newborns to young adolescents to young adults in your home. Um, and so the standard guideline here is 150 minutes in a week, and that may be hard to do. So how do you as parents or how do we as parents incorporate that into our lifestyle? Um, that would be in the form of maybe cycling, biking, rowing, all these things that we could uh, really increase our heart rate with. And usually if you incorporate high intensity workouts, that's all the better. So, um, you know, weight training or just uh, intervals of high intensity is also known to be really good around 75 minutes um, per week. And then how often should we be seeing our own doctors just for a checkup? Yeah, so I recommend that you see your family physician or internal medicine physician once a year at least if you 
define yourself as being healthy without any comorbidities such as high blood pressure or diabetes or any other comorbidity. Um, at that visit, we'll usually do a screening, talk about mental health, see how you're doing. Is there any stress going on in your life that's causing maybe a reactive depression or situational anxiety? And we'll talk about weight and healthy lifestyles, but also what's important is that we'll draw some blood and really look at fasting cholesterol, make sure that your heart healthy, because even though you may define yourself as being a healthy person or you may look healthy, uh, certainly numbers uh, when it comes to looking at your blood is something different. So you talked about um, activities, especially for parents. Any suggestions on what parents and their kids might be able to do together for physical activity, especially if you don't live near a park or you don't have a big yard or house where you can actually, you know, stretch and do things in a big space? So that is a good question, especially when we live in um, the Northwest here, it can be limiting in terms of weather during winter and indoor activities is something that you could really put together. So example, I'll give an example of my husband. Uh, he came up with this, what I think is a brilliant idea just to get the kids worn out so they can sleep at night. He'll come up with a obstacle course and it doesn't have to be something fancy. You know, it's, you write, um, a number on a piece of paper and you put it on the floor and number five, for example, and they have to do five jumping jacks or, you know, tumble over some pillows and, you know, somersault or something like that. But that's one way that you could really get your kids active, but outdoor, um, uh, activity is really important too. So, you know, people like to ride their bikes here in, in um, the Northwest and go on trail walks. And that's certainly important. So at least being out there for 30 plus minutes, um, you know, engaging in a brisk walk with your kids or even a light jog can be uh, a certain way. Uh, I mean, on a trail, if you're not able to go to a park or something like that. Dr. Martis, uh, as a dad of a ninth grader and also a sixth grade daughter, I'm always worried about their health, as I think most parents are always worried about their kids' health. Um, could you share with us some of the types of health issues that middle schoolers might be dealing with and how we as dads can help them handle those? Sure. I see a lot of middle school patients and um themes tend to come up. I have to mention uh, bullying as being one of them. You mentioned self-image or body image. But there's also a great concern for mental health, I find, with anxiety and depression. Other issues that come up include attention deficit or just not doing so well in school um, and mental health and bullying. I think those are the main ones that I was thinking about. So as a, as a dad, as a parent, moms too, right? What is it that we could do to help them handle those particular, particular issues? Sure. Um, so as parents, I think it just goes back to having those conversations with your kids, starting from young and really encouraging any sort of um, conversation, whether you can always say to them, hey, you know, I understand or I see that you look upset. You came back from school and you're upset. Is there something that's on your mind that you'd like to talk to me about? And if they say no, then you respect that. I think the number one thing you need to do as a parent is really be engaged. That's when you have to take action and you need to be proactive and talk to the 
your child's counselor um, or, you know, a principal really when it comes to something so serious because the intent of bullying is really to, to do harm either physically or emotionally. And that's when action needs to take place. Um, certainly, you know, there are programs there. So um, as a parent, you want to really have that conversation with that um, that school individual, either the principal or the teacher or counselor, make sure that there's a adult supervising before or after school or even, um, you know, after school program or something like that. I want to ask a question about your kids having a mom who's a doctor. How lucky are they to have an unlimited supply of tongue depressors to make crafts with? <laughs> well, you know what? That's not one, one of the things I bring home, believe it or not. Um, yeah, they... They don't see me as a doctor full-time, I gotta say. They see, see me as mom. I'd love to know about your uh, recommendations for allowable or recommended screen time for toddlers all the way up to teenagers. Good question. So when you say screen time, you know, a lot of parents think of just TV, though. But these days, screen time can include being on a cell phone, an iPad, um, uh, those also count for screen time. Uh, you know, the recommendations out there say for ages two to five, you have to limit it to an hour. Um, five and above, you know, it's two hours. But really, realistically, with young adults these days, I don't think there has been any um, doubt that they've gone over two hours. So let's go lightning round as we get you out of here. We're each going to come up with a scenario uh, when we should bring our child to the doctor if this comes up. So I'll start first. My child has a fever. When do I take him to the doctor? So you take them to the doctor when your temp is truly a fever. So anything over 100.5, including these symptoms, which are fussiness, um, decreased appetite, uh, decreased hydration, um, and lethargy. A cut. When does a child need stitches? Oh, good question. So um, depending on how big the cut is and how quickly it's bleeding, so there are various factors and um, how deep it is. So um, if it's a superficial cut, I think with compression over the course of maybe uh, 30 seconds, that should certainly stop bleeding. You know that that's something that you can just heal or mend with a band-aid if it's not if it's continuously bleeding then certainly you need to take them in um and if it's above you know areas of like the eyebrow the face or something um the hand um and it's profusely bleeding you're gonna be going in about a head injury or a concussion when should we be concerned um i think when it comes to concussion you should always err on the side of caution and just take your kid in um because Concussions can be serious sometimes, and you know you want them screened through a neuro- neurological exam. Um, concussions can present with um, lack of focus or um, you know uh, attention, you know weakness, and um, you want to make sure that it's not something serious. Um, usually, we think of concussions as being a brain injury that your your brain's really kind of bouncing inside the skull, and that truly is traumatic. So, you know, you want to make sure, you know, the physician evaluates the degree of concussion and makes appropriate recommendations, including um, including rest and uh, lack of any sort of screen time. So I think some 
individuals with a concussion can also have nausea. And that's when you're really going to wanting to go to the ER because that nausea could be, um, you know, prequel to, to vomiting, which we usually worry because that could present with the brain herniation. Well, Dr. Martis, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a pleasure. Some really great information. Thank you for having me, guys. This was fun. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Martis. Dad, can we order Indian food sometime soon? Sure. Where should we order from? Non and Brew. What dishes do you like from Non and Brew? I like the non bread and butter chicken. And why do you like them? Because it's yummy. Non and Brew is an Indian family restaurant that's been located in downtown Bellingham since 2015. They are located at the corner of Railroad and Maple and have a full takeout and delivery menu available. To place an order, call 360-389-5493 or visit their website at nonandbrew.com. That's N-A-A-N-A-N-D-B-R-E-W dot com. So our thanks to Dr. Francine Martis for joining us today and thanks to our sponsors, Robinson and Cole Attorneys and Non and Brew Restaurant in Bellingham. And to get in touch with the show, email us at whatcomedadspodcast at gmail.com. New episodes are now posted weekly, so please subscribe using your favorite podcast app. Bye, guys. See you later. Bye. See you next week. Tune in next week when the dads discuss navigating the holidays, suggest a spot to take your kids for a sweet treat, and interview John Knudsen, Community Outreach Officer with the Bellingham Police Department. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for listening. What do you call a pile of cats? A mountain. What's a cat's favorite salad dressing? Ranch! I'm Nathan Dwyer. Sorry. That's my fault. Continue. <laughs> Wait, this is going to be a long night if I can't get the first sentence in. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Ready. <laughs>